having me here today. Uh, I want to just begin by saying how much I appreciate this house and everything it really pours out into our lives, into our ministry, uh, the prayers, the partnership, the love, the friendship. Uh, we, re we are really thankful for it all, and it means a lot to us, and we just love coming back every year and seeing this place again and everything that God is doing and just hearing what God has put on uh, John and Tracy's heart. Uh, we really enjoy uh, what God is doing in Dallas and specifically here in Storehouse. Uh, I was just hearing testimonies about your trip to Honduras and oh, that is, um, it is challenging. It is challenging and uh, it's something that we, we want to see in a lot of other places. Uh, so yeah, we just, I thank you for everything you guys are doing and how you guys are pushing forward. Well, we've had a wild year. First of all, I want to, I don't know if most of you know me or my wife. My wife is back there, Teresa. Uh, our baby just fell asleep, so he usually loves being introduced to people, but this time he's asleep. Um, I just want to share a little bit about our past year. It's been a very wild year. I shared with you guys a little bit, whoever was here, about some of the new direction that God had given us. Uh, we took a trip to Iraq and Turkey, and just God has been exposing them, some things of what he's doing in the Middle East and putting it on our hearts and uh, it's been a really crazy year just moving forward in those things. Uh, I am now uh, helping develop a Middle East department in our house of prayer with a vision of bringing uh, the worship movement as a tool for unity in the Middle East. Uh, what it talks about in Isaiah 19 is a highway of worship between the nations. And so we believe that the house of prayer movement, the worship movement, the presence of God has the capacity to bring people together that no one else can do, and it can really be a blessing, uh, just like it says in Isaiah 19, a blessing in the midst of the earth, that something can really break through when people uh, unite together, put their differences aside, focus on the Lord, and just enjoy his presence and bring his presence into uh, those areas. So we've done a few different things this year. We, were, we just had a, uh, our youth conference in the summer with uh, it was wild. Um, we just had a lot of opposition from Orthodox religious. They almost canceled us uh, literally the night before, and uh, we ended up having a blast. We had police protecting us the whole time, um, and they heard the whole conference, which was awesome. Uh, we had the Orthodox religious outside who were protesting, and um, thanks to all the publicity, actually, we had more people interested in coming than not, so that was really awesome. And uh, we had even secular people who wanted to walk into the conference and um, there were a few minors that we had to turn away because they didn't have parental permissions. And just, um, you know, some of the religious ended up hearing the gospel and they probably wouldn't have otherwise, which was really awesome. Uh, some of them got arrested and it was really fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that's something the Lord's really moving forward. Uh, we're, we're planning and talking about doing an intensive internship for youth from both sides, uh, Arab and Jewish people. Uh, taking about 40 or 50 kids and just investing in them and doing a one-week uh, intensive, uh, maybe not doing so much the large conference, but really focusing on training and getting our hands on these young people and taking them deeper into the presence of God. So that's something that we're praying about. The other thing that we're planning right now is a uh, youth missions trip to Turkey, uh, to Istanbul in August, uh, to go to the House of Prayer in Istanbul and also to do some refugee ministry. Um, we really want to expose uh, the youth that have been investing years now in the house of prayer. We want to take them and expose them to what God is doing in the Middle East and uh, allow God to work in their hearts in ways that we cannot do and just allow them to experience what it means to go out, to go out into a different place, to a different culture, different people group, and just love on people. 
So we're really excited about that. Uh, I am also studying Arabic now, something that I swore I would never do. So God's really taken us in a direction that if you would have asked me three years ago, I would have said, no way, you're crazy. Uh, that's not me. That won't happen. Amen. Uh, actually, I'll share uh, just one more thing. We had a blast. We went to uh, Iraq uh, again this last November. And uh, this time, instead of going through a border secretly, we actually were given permission to go through by uh, the religious affairs office, the government office in, uh, in Kurdistan, in Iraq. And so th that was a huge deal that we got this time, governmental permission to get in. The problem was that it didn't get down from the governmental level to the airport level. So when we got to the airport, we were about five minutes away from getting kicked out, and they were not letting us through. But there was someone from the religious affairs office who was there, and he had to come and talk to them and persuade them to let us through, even though he had nothing um, official to present them. They, based on his word, they allowed us to go through. Uh, and it, literally, they said, you have 15 minutes uh, or you're getting on a flight back to Istanbul. Uh, and if nothing happens in the next 15 minutes, you're on that flight. So we started praying like there's no tomorrow. And uh, we were just believing, God, if you want us here, you're going to open the door. And God, God opened the door. Um, it was really cool because we, uh, this guy from the government who picked us up, uh, he took us in this armored vehicle uh, to the religious affairs office. And we got to sit down with the head of the religious affairs office, who's a Muslim, and the newly established religious affairs office for Jews within that governmental office. They put a position in that their job, or this man's job, is to... Uh, provide the freedom and equality for Jewish people in Kurdistan. It is an unprecedented move in all of the Middle East. There is no other nation in the Middle East that has a Jewish affairs office on their government, a man they are paying to guarantee equal rights to Jews in a Middle Eastern country other than Israel. That is a big deal. Uh, actually, I, the Iraqi government uh, had a lot of opposition to that. They put a lot of pressure to shut that down. And in spite of all of it, they said, no, we're keeping this office open. Uh, the man was a Jewish person who was, uh, who was put in charge. He, he had been a hidden Jew for many years. And when he came out with the fact that he was Jewish, they tried to kill him. They put a bomb in his car. They took off his arm. Uh, but he is, I mean, he is going for it. They are out in the open, uh, just talking about it, proclaiming it, saying, you know, Jews are welcome in Kurdistan. And they will have equal rights there. This is a pretty new thing. So I really believe that God is shifting something in that area that you would not have seen a few years ago. Thanks to the situation and what is happening, God is opening doors that were previously shut for many years. And the fact that we were there a year before, praying for that country and uh, we were allowed in by, uh, by military officials and just crazy stuff there is like this spiritual shift that we saw where last time things were a lot more hidden and this time something shifted and things were coming out to the light and God is bringing things to the light in Kurdistan and I believe that their stance for uh, just standing with the Jewish people standing with Israel and being vocal about it and not afraid about it uh, is going to bring a huge blessing on that area and on the Kurdish people so there is something that we can really be pressing in for right now uh, for that region, you know, when a nation um, or when a people group take a stand for truth and change their ways. I mean, they are changing their ways and they are, they are 
what, what, what was hidden before is now being exposed and coming to the light. And it's not bad things, it's good things that are being brought to the light. And that will bring bl- blessing to a country, I believe, to their nation or to their people group. So it's something that we're really praying for and believing for. Uh, I never imagined that we would be sharing our testimony and we would be sharing about Yeshua and his salvation and about how much God loves the Kurdish people with government people in Kurdistan. Um, it is something that I could not dream about and you could not, you could not make that up. Uh, I would not have believed you if you would have told me we would be doing that a year ago. So God's really opening doors and he's blessing what we're doing. Um, I have no other way to put it. It's nothing that we've tried or really worked hard to do. Uh, it's stuff that actually should be should be impossible, but, you know, he's doing it, and it's awesome. All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew 24, and uh, I just want to share a message the Lord has put on my heart. Father, I ask that you would speak through me tonight. Abba, we, have, we ask that you would open our hearts to hear your word. God, I ask that you would anoint my words, that you would use my words Father, we ask that you would speak to each and every one of us. Open our hearts, open our minds. Abba, we ask that your presence would just fill our hearts, our minds in this place. We want to honor you right now. In Yeshua's name, amen. Before I start, I just want to mention real quick, we've had a really intense five months in Israel. You guys have been hearing probably on the news some of the attacks and things happening. I just want to ask that you be praying for uh, just for peace and, and rest to come over the land. There's been, for the last five months, almost on a weekly basis, at least one or two, even three attacks. Uh, the other day, there were three attacks in just one day uh, with multiple people killed and injured. And uh, it doesn't seem to be calming down. It's been going on now for about five months and just very demonic. There's no other way to put it because I have never, in, in, in the years that I've lived in Israel, I have never heard of just case after case, week after week of teenagers and university age people or students waking up one morning and saying, I'm going to take a knife from my house and just go and stab somebody. Or I'm going to take my car and just run over someone in the street. I don't think that has a precedent. In the past, the violence was usually organized. It was cells or terror groups. And now it's just people individuals waking up one day or after contemplating it for a while, but usually waking up one day and just deciding that they're going to murder someone. And for a 15, there was a case of 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 20-year-olds. I do not understand. I am baffled by this. I do not understand how a 14 and 15-year-old kid or 12-year-old kid wakes up one morning and says, I will take a knife and kill somebody for the sake of, of Muhammad, or usually it's been for the last few months, it's been for the sake of the Temple Mount. What does a 12-year-old have to do with the Temple Mount? And what does his killing somebody accomplish for the sake of the Temple Mount? Absolutely nothing other than violence and bloodshed and a curse, honestly, a spirit of death. And so what's happening right now is... is, um, I have no other way to put it. It's totally demonic. The enemy has completely overtaken the lives of youth and young people with a spirit of hatred, a spirit of death, uh, with perversion and lies that we have not experienced in a very long time. And it is pretty unprecedented. And so we're really asking that you pray for just a release of God's 
uh, just cleansing over our generation, over our, peop our, our people, both people groups. Um, there's been violence also from our side. It's, it's not just one-sided. There has been some pretty intense attacks from our side. Uh, one of them was the burning of a young kid. Uh, the other one was uh, the burning of a family by religious extremists, Orthodox religious extremists, and um, that caused a lot of outrage. So there's a real spirit of hatred and violence that has overtaken um, and come upon our country for over the last five months. And we just want to be believing that this, this needs to stop. This is not the time. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard the word that Rick uh, gave a few years ago about the dragon on the Temple Mount inciting violence and speaking lies. And that the Lord spoke to him and said, you need to uh, shut the lion's mouth, you know, put a gag order on it and say, not now, not now. This is not the time. And that at the right and appointed time, that dragon will be released. But that now is not the time. And so we just need to keep believing that. You can see that prophetic word on the Sukkotala website. Um, it's there. It's, uh, it's really significant. It's very uh, relevant to what's happening. Yeah, but just be praying. And especially for youth and, and kids, this, uh, the children and the youth, uh, the young generation, that they would experience the life and the light of the gospel, of the love of Yeshua, that it would be revealed to them and that the lies would cease, uh, that the media would stop spreading those lies and incite that violence. Because I have, I have not seen this before. Um, and so we, we, we just want to see this. And this needs to stop. The land needs rest and needs peace and uh, no more bloodshed um, for, this, for this time, this season right now. This is, not, um, this is not the season that God has appointed for things to start happening as we see in the word of God. Uh, we believe that now is a time for rest and peace and reconciliation and for God's word to go forth, for his light to go forth. And um, we just want to see reconciliation and peace between the people groups. So I ask that you just be praying for that when you guys remember to pray for Israel. Um, just be praying for these attacks to stop and for God to intervene. That, that There's nothing the military can do. There's absolutely no intelligence about it. There's nothing preemptive. It's just people waking up one morning and deciding to do it. And only God can intervene in those cases. Only the Holy Spirit can whisper into a person's life and say, you cannot do this. This is not what you're supposed to do. So just remember that, pray for that, and uh, just be praying for us and for the safety of the believers there in Jerusalem. All right, Matthew 24. What verse am I in? Verse 4. Okay, Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples about the end times. Uh, he's telling them what is to come. And uh, I just want to touch on, these, uh, on, on some of the verses in Matthew 24. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm just going to jump over this part. Uh, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as, not has, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Verse 27. For the lightning, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his, his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I'm going to continue from verse... Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master... One second, I'm sorry, I lost it. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at, at an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end times. He's promising some very difficult things to them that will happen. And I want to focus in first on verse 45. This is a, a little bit of the end of what he's saying. But this is probably the most important part of it all. Because it, it, this, these, this section of the prophetic word that Jesus is giving them, is imp, it's implicating the significance or it's uh, emphasizing the importance of focusing, believing, and expecting for what Jesus had just told them will happen. It is sealing that word and the importance of that word. What is he telling them in essence? He's saying that the good servant, his master will find him waiting and watching. It's the words he uses in some other places throughout this prophecy. He says, wait and watch for you do not know the time or the hour. But he's saying, blessed is the servant who his master will find so doing. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delaying, then that servant is a bad servant and he will be punished. He's telling them that it is extremely important 
that they believe the words that he's told them and that they be watching and waiting for the return of the Son of Man coming on the clouds for his return to the earth. He is telling them it is extremely important that you wait and you watch and you expect my return and that you believe that I am coming back. It is extremely important that you do not get lazy, that you cannot get tired, and that you do not ignore my words and stop believing that I am returning. Many people do not really believe that he is actually coming back to the earth. A lot of people form their theology based on Hollywood, movies, and things that are not in the scripture. We found out once, uh, one of my friends was teaching in a youth group in Israel, and he asked him, what do you think will happen in the end times? They started telling him things that are out of movies. Most of them did not know what the word of God said about his return. Much of the church wants to ignore this subject. Let's not talk about it. It is too divisive. There is too much division over this. It is too difficult to understand. So let's not talk about it. I've heard many people say this. This is not that important. There are more important things in the word of God. Let's not focus on this. Let's focus on the gospel. How do you separate the gospel from what Jesus said? I'm not sure. But a lot of people want to ignore the importance of talking and giving focus and watching to his return, to when he will return. The servant, the person, the church, the ministry that says this is not important. That says let's not focus on that. There are more important things to focus on. That say he's not coming back. You would be surprised how incredibly popular that belief system is. He's not coming back. We're going there. And who say, well, he's delaying. That servant is bound to become a bad servant. There's no way around it. That servant is bound to be found not watching, not expecting, and not waiting, not praying. The servant who stops watching and praying about the return of Jesus, the servant who stops hoping for the return of our master, is bound to become an unfaithful servant. I know that's a hard word. But that is what Jesus is telling them. The one who says to himself, my master is delayed, is the one who starts doing what he's not supposed to be doing and who is found not expecting and at an hour that he won't know, which is a very bad thing because he's promising them some very difficult things. And it is extremely clear, I don't know exactly what you believe, but it is extremely clear from this scripture. There's no way around it. I don't know how you can interpret it any different. That after those things, after the tribulation, he will come for his elect. There is no way around it. After the tribulation, he will come for his elect. There is nothing that says that we will be gone before the tribulation. 
The opposite is true. There are seven scriptures that talk about the end times. All of them have one thing in common. They say, after those things, or in the end. The one who endures to the end. The one who stands to the end. It is extremely important that as a church, we understand that God has called us to stand in very difficult situations, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, but hoping and waiting for his return. Without that hope and without that waiting, we are bound to get lost in the things happening up to that point. The servant who is not waiting will be distracted by everything that happens before that glorious day. And that's why he tells them, it is really important that you pay attention and that you wait for my return. That you set your eyes on the day of my return. You need to be waiting. You need to be watching. You need to be setting your hopes to that day when all the nations will see him coming on the clouds. You know, it's interesting. This is, why does he come on the clouds? Why doesn't he just appear on the earth? Why does he have to appear in the heavens? All the nations are going to see the sign in the heaven, the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great glory and power. With, I would say it this way, with unprecedented power and glory that the earth has never seen. And he's going to come on the clouds from the heavens in a way that all the nations in the earth are going to see it. Everyone is going to see it. There's a very interesting parable, or not parable, but story in Matthew 26. I'm not going to go there right now, but Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples are falling asleep. And Jesus three times comes to Peter and says this phrase. He says, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? He says that phrase three times. Well, I've only found that phrase in one other place, the one hour. You can correct me later if you know of another place, but I only found one other place as of, as of now. It's in Revelation. And it's a scripture that talks about God allowing the beast one hour of power to persecute the saints. That is a very interesting comparison where he's telling John in his revelation that the Antichrist is going to have one hour of power to persecute the saints, one hour of authority, he calls it. And Jesus tells Peter three times, could you not watch and pray for one hour? It is extremely important that as a church, we are waiting and praying about the return of Jesus. Waiting for the day of his return. Because it has so much significance it has so many implications for our life it has so many implications for our situation it has so many implications for our nation for our governments it has so many implications it is a single most important event in human history let's go to revelation one i'm going to touch a little bit more on this and i'm going to develop it a little bit more 
When we talk about setting our eyes to the day of his return, we are not talking about just any event. We're talking about the, the character of Jesus himself being revealed to all of mankind on that day. We are talking about his rule being established on the earth, his kingdom being established on the earth. We're talking about all of human history culminating in that one moment when he says, this is my moment now. This is my time. Everything that, that when it says in Romans, all of creation is groaning for the revelation. All of creation is waiting. All of mankind, are, we are waiting for that one moment when God finally fulfills everything that his word was about. All of history is about that one moment. I know that's a little bit difficult to understand, but all of human history is about that moment when he returns to the earth. Let's read Revelation 1. I'm going to start from verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. As a people, we have to believe that he is not delaying. We have to believe that the time is near. The generation that do not believe that Jesus is returning or could be returning in their time is a generation that loses part of the meaning, part of the urgency of the hour. There is no truer thing today than that the time is near. I was talking about that today with another guy. Um, you guys know him, Michael Miller. We were talking about Joel chapter 3 or chapter 2 in English, sorry, 3 in Hebrew. Where it talks about there being deliverance in Zion. Well, the Hebrew for that is that there will be salvation. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved because on Mount Zion there will be not deliverance, a remnant. That's the word in Hebrew, a remnant. Because from those who have survived. And then it goes on in chapter 4. In English it would be chapter 3. It goes on to say, In those days I will return the captivity of Judah. All of that is happening at the same time. In those days. In what days? In the days when all the nations are gathering against Jerusalem. Right before that. He is returning the people to his land. And in those days, there's going to be a remnant on Mount Zion, on Jerusalem, that are calling on his name. That remnant is there. God has returned his people to his land. The prophecy of, in the book of Joel is not talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago or more. It can only be relevant today because it's talking about in those days. In the end times, in those days, I will return my people to Judah. I will return the captivity of Judah. And then it says that the nations, I will gather the nations to enter into judgment with them. In the valley of Jehoshaphat. It could not be talking about any other day than what the time that we're living in right now. God has returned the people of Israel to their land. God has restored a remnant within the people of Israel. All we're doing now is waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
and for the remaining words of that prophecy to come to pass. But the time really is near. The time really is near. The urgency of the hour has never been greater. The words of this prophecy have never been truer and have never been nearer to come to pass than now. It is extremely important that as a church, we realize that, that we realize the time is near. God is setting up the stage for that day. It is happening before our eyes. The fact that I'm here is a testimony to the truth of that statement. As a Jewish believer living in Jerusalem, it is a testament to the truth of that statement that God is going to bring back his people to his land and then that he's going to restore a remnant within that people group who carry the promise to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus gave, that he will not return until they call on him. Matthew 23, for those of you who want to see that. The time could not be near and it could not be more urgent that we understand that and the season that we're entering into. Thank goodness that the prophecy Matthew 24 is not all, um, how do you say it in English, doom and gloom, I think the, the, the statement is. He says mostly, 20, the chapter 24 in Matthew is mostly bad things, negative promises, but he ties it into uh, Joel chapter 2. When he says that the, that the sun will dim its light, the moon will be darkened or turn into blood, that's the same words from Joel chapter 2. He's in essence saying in those same days, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. So there's not only bad things to look forward to, there's also amazing and great things to look forward to. But it is extremely important that as a church we realize that we are going to be standing and believing for revival and outpouring in a very difficult and trying time. And then he says in Revelation, Blessed is the one who keeps and hears and reads the words of this prophecy. It is amazing to me that so many people have largely ignored the book of Revelation. It is the only book in the Bible that carries a promise for blessing for reading it. Why would you not read the book of Revelation? There is no other book that tells you you will be blessed if you read this book, all you have to do is read it, hear it, and keep it. And God promises a blessing. It is boggling to me that so many Christians will not read this book or largely ignore it. It's amazing. When God promises the opposite. Anyways, verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He's saying, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's break this down real quick. John gives us in four verses a summary of all of the Word of God, all the Bible. In four, in four verses. 
He's revealing to us the character and the attributes of Jesus, what He's done for us, and what His plan is about. You can summarize all of the Word of God in those, four, in those four verses. His whole plan right there, wrapped up right there. And the first thing He starts with is He's revealing from the one who is and who was and who is to come. And he's talking about the eternal nature of God, of Jesus, the one who never had a beginning and who will never have an end. That is the basis for everything. Without the eternal nature of God, there is no God. Without the eternal nature of God, we would not be talking about him as God. If there was any other eternal one, we would be talking about him as a potential competitive God. But there is only one who is eternal. It is difficult for us to comprehend someone who has no beginning and no end because we have a beginning and we have an end physically. He has no beginning and no end. And that very nature of God is carried into every single attribute and action that he does. He is eternal in wisdom. He is eternal in faithfulness. He is eternal in love. He is eternal in his authority and how he rules and he reigns. He is eternal as a king. None of those things ever had a beginning and will never have an end. His eternal nature is the basis for who he is as God. It carries everything about him is eternal. So he's telling us this is Jesus. The one who has no end and he exists right now and he will have no end. He has no beginning. And then he goes on to say he's the faithful witness. He's the one who has seen all of human history. He's the one who saw creation. He's the one who knows the future. Can you imagine a more faithful witness than that? In John 18, what is his witness? What is he a faithful witness about? John 18, 37 says, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to that truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Do you guys get what his witness is about? It's about his eternal kingship over the earth. His rulership, his authority. He says, I was born for this purpose. I wasn't born to die. I wasn't born to be raised from the dead. Those things actually witness to the truth of what he said. His death is a witness to Jesus, the king who wants his people back. His resurrection from the dead is a witness to the king who holds the power to death and life, who has all authority. And that's why he calls it the gospel of the kingdom. He's witnessing to the truth that he is a king. He says, you say that I am a king. And he says, that is what I was born to witness about. That's what I bear witness to, to that truth. That I am a king. And I am an eternal king. You did not crown me. You didn't give me authority. He didn't receive authority. Do you guys get that? He never received authority. He has always had it. He didn't receive authority when he 
died or rose from the dead. He always had it. He just restored the truth to what had been taken away. He always had the authority. No one ever crowned him. No one ever gave him authority. He has always been the king and will always be the king. The only king. And he bears witness to that truth. That he is a king. And he has a kingdom that belongs to him. And he is coming back to establish that kingdom on the earth. An eternal kingdom. That has no beginning and will have no end. That is what's being established on the earth. And he is the one who is worthy. It says, to him be glory and dominion forever. He is the only one who is worthy to receive everything. And then he goes on to say, behold, he is coming on the clouds. And every eye will see him. That's actually a quote from Daniel 7.13. He didn't invent a new, a new thing. That's actually a quote from Daniel 7.13 from the Old Testament. And he goes on to say, Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. That is a quote from uh, uh, Zechariah 12 where it says that the people of Judah will see him, the one whom they pierced. It's interesting here, though, that here he says all the nations are going to wail on account of him, not just the nation of Israel. All the nations are going to come under his authority and repentance. All the nations are going to bow their knee before the king of kings. And they're going to see him. Then he goes on to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is different than the one who is eternal. That is the one who has a beginning and has an end. But what does he mean? This is a quote from Isaiah 44.4 and 41.4. And it's talking about the one who, this is my personal interpretation, because the one who is, who was, and he is to come, talks about an eternal nature, whereas this talks about more something that has a beginning and an end. But what is he talking about exactly? My theory, this is what I think, the way I read it, is the one who was there in creation and the one who it all started with and the one who it will end with. He is the beginning and he is the one who will end it all. You guys get what I'm saying? He is the beginning of human history. He is the beginning. He's the one who by his breath created everything and by his breath everything is sustained. He is the one who is the beginning. And he is the omega, he's the last, he's the one that with him everything ends. He is the culmination of human history. Human history started with Jesus and it will end with Jesus coming back to this earth and restoring everything to himself. Human history begins and ends with him. And then his story begins. His, his eternal story. And we're setting our eyes not just on, a, on, on, a, on an event, on a random event or a random day in history or something that's going to happen. And that's why it's also extremely important that we understand that this is really going to happen. We're not just going to disappear one day and go up to heaven and live there forever on a cloud. <laughs> Praise God. We'll get to eat food. There's going to be a feast. 
It's going to be wine. I like wine. Jews like wine. I was recently talking to someone about the, the miracle in, in, the, in the Galilee, the first miracle that Jesus performed in, in uh, Cana. You know, and he, I, I never thought about it this way, but you know the, the, the big, uh, I don't know what you call it in English, but the, the, I guess you would say like the jugs that he turned into wine, the water, the pots. Well, we think of like small little pots. You know that each one of those was actually about 40 gallons of wine, maybe even more. He actually turned, uh, if I remember this correctly, it's somewhere around 900 gallons of water into wine. Talk about a, a, a extravagant, loving God in, in a wedding when they ran out of wine. He didn't just give them a few more bottles. He gave them 900 gallons of wine. We're not just talking about a day in history or some random event. We're talking about a man who promised to do something and whose promise is going to come to pass. We're talking about a plan that God has set in motion thousands of years ago and it will come to pass. And when you talk about the eternal God, the eternal Jesus, the eternal King who has no beginning and no end, and you put our lives up against that, can you really compare when you put up your current situation as compared to that glorious day when it says he's going to come with great power and glory, does anything really compare? When Jesus says, go and do this, when he says, obey my word, when he says, I want you to go to this place and you go, and you think about that day when he comes back and you can stand before him and say, I did what you asked of me. I obeyed. I did what you asked. I gave up. I sacrificed. I was willing. Can you imagine standing before him and having the opposite words? Can you imagine standing before him on that glorious day when he returns and looking up to heaven and saying, Oh no, what did I do? And now it starts to make sense why Jesus said, you need to be waiting and expecting for that day. I'm going to tie this to Israel a little bit. Let's go to Psalm chapter 2. And the reason I went into Revelation 1 is, I just believe that in those verses right there, John, or, or God through that word, is revealing to us the character of Jesus on the day of his return not just an event but the very nature of God being revealed to mankind all of his plans being being established in one day in one moment and us seeing the glory of that moment not just an event but the man the glory of the man being revealed to the nations and the nations standing before the king of kings and wailing it says wailing on account of him repenting feeling sorrow for the rebellion. And it says, even so, amen. Even so, let it be. I'm going to share a quick testimony before I read this verse. But 
You know, when I talk about the day of his return and, and Jesus coming back, there's, you have to consider all of the history and all of the future that goes with that one event. And everything that has happened is culminating in that one day. And that one day being the beginning of all eternity. Or we're already living in that, so to speak, in that promise. But the day that he's returned is he is establishing the eternal nature of the kingdom of God here on earth. But we had a recent situation where uh, we, uh, especially my wife, she was mentoring this girl, this young girl. And she was in a pretty bad situation with a, with a guy. And um, we gave her some advice. She started walking in that advice. But then the, 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 the parents of this guy were telling her lies and telling her that everyone was against her and that the problem was not their son. It was not them. The problem was her parents. And that the problem was that everyone was against them and that there was no reason for her to do what we had told her would probably be the best thing for her. And she ended up making a very bad decision and disappeared, ran away from her house. Um, not ran away, but she moved out of her house, moved in with this, with this family. And um, I had a very rough, tough conversation with his parents. And uh, they didn't take what I said. And uh, it, it was very rough. And my wife took it very difficult because she had invested a lot of uh, a lot of time and a lot of um, just emotional energy into this young girl, really believing that God was touching her, and then all of a sudden it all kind of just went away. And um, she was heartbroken, but I was angry. I was really angry. I was angry with his parents. I was so mad how someone could destroy a young woman's life like that and just lie to her and tell her that her parents were the problem when her parents were trying to get her to do the best thing for her life. And um, the Lord just spoke to me in that moment and just gave me comfort. And there was only one comfort that I could, I, I was looking, God, like how can you, how can this be explained? I don't get it. They say they're believers, but they're totally ruining their son's life and, and another young girl's life along with it. And I was so mad at them that, and uh, the Lord just, brought this source of comfort and he said you know i was reading from uh, i think it's in timothy where it talks about the seriousness of uh there's different sins like sexual immorality and different things and there's one that we always skip over where it says uh disobedience to their parents or rebelliousness and we tend to skip over that one and we say well sexual immorality is a big sin and so what but we tend to not think as disobedience to your parents is that serious um and the lord said to me his parents one day will have to stand before me and give account for this word. They're going to have to explain to me why they caused a young girl to go against my word and commit a very serious sin, rebelling against her own parents and actually driving this young girl to rebel against her own parents. And why they went against me and what I wanted for this girl, obedience to her parents. And I found no way in how they could explain biblically, how they could explain telling this young girl to disobey and rebel against her parents. And all of a sudden I realized, this is comfort. This really is comfort. It sounds bad maybe, but knowing that I cannot fix it, there's nothing more I can do, and laying it before the Lord and saying, you know what? One day they will only be able to explain this to God himself when he comes back. 
when he returns and they see him on the clouds, they're going to have to start thinking, what am I going to say to him? How am I going to explain to him what I said and did? And that thought, it shook me, it brought fear into me, but it also gave me comfort because I said, that's God's justice. I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't tell them they're wrong, but he will be the one who enforces his word. He is the one that will say, my word stands true. Why did you not do so and so? So with that in mind, you know, sometimes the only comfort that we have is knowing that he is coming back. He will come back. And every nation and every person will have to give account before him. And I believe the moment that he appears on the clouds, we are going to start thinking, what am I going to say to him? And for some, that will be a very good thing because we did what he asked us to do because we received his grace, we received his blood, we know we are forgiven. For some people, that will be a terrifying thought. And for some nations, that will be a terrifying thought. So with that in mind, let's read uh, chapter 2. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You know, with everything that's happening around Israel, when I say all of human history is about this one glorious day that Jesus comes back and establishes his reign on the earth, that is everything the enemy is trying to prevent. And if you set your focus to understand what that day is about, then you begin to understand how his plan will come about. A lot of the church is very ignorant on how his plan will come about. I hope you guys have a better understanding of that. I believe you do because you have some amazing teaching here. But God made it very clear in his word that he will not come back until his people call him to return saying, Blessed is he who comes back in the name of the Lord. He has very clearly tied his kingdom and his promise to his people group, to his people, the Jewish people. Not because we chose that, but because he wanted to do so. There is no way around it. There's no way around the word of God. There's no way to explain it away. That's just how it is. I can't tell you why he chose it. I can't give you a reason. He just did. He chose to do it. But it says that the kings of the earth will plot in vain. And they're actually trying to cast off the word of God from themselves. Let us break their bonds apart and cast away their cords. They're talking about the word of God. Let's, his laws, his established ways. Let's cast it off. We don't care about that. And then it says the Lord holds them in derision. They're crazy. They're insane. They do not know what they're doing. Do you imagine standing before Jesus the day he returns as a king and telling him, or explaining to him, trying to explain to him why you decided to cast away his word and promise. 
And he says in Joel chapter 2 or 3 that he's going to enter into judgment in the valley of Jehoshaphat with the nations. And it's very, very clear to us in Psalm 2 and Joel 2, Joel 3, Zechariah 12. It's very clear to us that the kings, the nations of the earth, they don't, they, nobody just woke up one morning and said, oh, let's hate the Jews. We just don't like them that much. They're just not nice people. Nobody decided, well, somebody did decide, but it, it, where does it come from? It's not just that someone chose one day, oh, I don't want to like the Jews. They're just weird. It comes from somewhere. There's a demonic activity that lies to people and drives them towards a certain path or way of thinking that is apart a from God's word. It is trying to cast off God's promises and established ways and saying we will do it our own way. And that is the reason the nations rail or gather themselves against his people. It's not that they just decided, well, we don't really like the Jews. They're not that cool. They're not nice. They all like money. It's not about that. It's about the day of his return. It's about his established king on Mount Zion. It's about that. It's about setting themselves against the king. And his plan, and his plan is through his people. And therefore the nations stand against his people. Because he has established it that way. If God had said, I will tie myself to the American people, I promise you all the nations of the earth would be talking about how bad the American people are, about how ungodly or unmoral they, immoral they are, or about how uh, everyone needs to boycott them, about how we need to divide their land. That's what the nations would be talking about. The same goes for any other people group. If God had tied his kingdom and his king to a people group, all the nations would be up against that people group. It's not just about the Jews. It's about the king who tied himself to his people. He died with that proclamation, the king of the Jews. And the nations hate him for that. I don't know why, but they hate him for that. And the nations will have to give account according to this scripture. They will have to give account. Why? Why did you cast my word off? Why did you cast my established ways off? Why did you choose your own ways? Why did you stand against my people? Why did you do exactly what my word said do not do? Or this is my promise. For me, that's a very comforting thought. Because when the nations come against Israel, if he was not coming back to the earth to establish the truth of his promise and to give judgment and bring justice, I might as well pack my bags and go somewhere else where life is much easier and where people are much more open to the gospel. If his promise was not true about his people, if his promise was not true the way he would come back, and if he really is not coming back, or if he's not coming back physically and we're all just going to disappear up there, I am packing my bags right now and going somewhere else. But his promise stands true, that he needs his people to call him to return. And that is the motivation for everything we do. Because he promised it will happen, we're there to be a part of it.
And we know that one day he's coming back to establish and to bring truth and fulfillment to that promise. He has already set his king and no one else will move him from there. He has set his king on Jerusalem. No other king will reign for there, from there for eternity. That is his holy hill, nobody else's. That is his holy hill. That is his throne that has been established to all generations. No one else will change that. That should be something that the church is very afraid about. That should be something that drives the church into a place of waiting and praying. The knowledge of what's to come and how it will happen should be something driving the church to wait and pray. If we know that our nation is going in the wrong direction concerning his promises, then it is a sign that we need to get down on our knees and wait and pray and hope for the day of his return and set our eyes on that because the day that he comes back, our nations will enter into judgment with the king himself. That is a very terrifying thought. It says here that he will terrify them in his fury. It should make us think twice. He does give us a remedy though. I'm going to finish with this. But even when the nations go against his word and his promises, and even when everything else seems to be going bad, and everything that Jesus promised his disciples. By the way, when God, when Jesus promises his disciples that there will be rumors of war and wars and famines and all these things, they're happening because the nations are actually going against his plan. That's why that's happening. Nation is rising against nation and they're all fighting. It's happening because they're trying to fight. The, the, the fight, the, the, the rebellion against the king that has been established by God himself the rebellion against it will culminate. It is building up towards that day, trying to prevent the king from being enthroned on his holy hill. That's what all the wars are about. That's what everything is about. It's about the enemy trying to stop that one thing. And so when things Go in that direction. Voting is nice. You have, a, you have a privilege you get to vote in this country. And you have a privilege you get to vote for a person who says he's Christian. We don't get that privilege in Israel. We vote with the knowledge that both candidates are bad. They have good and bad. Whichever you vote is going to have good and bad. And... You just got to vote for who you think might be the best person for that season, for that appointed time. But you have a privilege to vote. But voting is not the remedy. Voting does not guarantee anything. In fact, Jesus promises quite the opposite. So you can pretty much take your eyes off of politics and stop hoping in leaders to fix the problems. You can stop hoping in leaders to change your nation. You can stop hoping in leaders to change the church. That ain't happening.
And Jesus actually promises quite the opposite. Might not be now, but it will happen. And so we can set our eyes off of that already. You can take your eyes off of politics, off of earthly kings and earthly leaders. And you can set your eyes on the one king who will be established on his throne. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'm finishing. I'm, 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 I got one minute. I'm done. We want to set our eyes on that day. We believe Jesus said that it is important that we set our eyes on that day because we want to be found waiting and watching. We want to be found faithful. We want to be messengers of the gospel of the kingdom, of the king. We want to say yes to when he sends us, to when he says go, to when he says do this or do that. Because we know that when he comes back, we're going to look up and see him on the clouds. And we're going to have joy in our hearts because we did what he asked us to do. Because we stood with his word. We stood with his promises. We do not want to be the ones that are found not waiting and not expecting. Amen. Let's stand together. And it is, this one theme, the return of Jesus, that the, the glorious day that we will see the king coming on the clouds, it gives context to everything in our life. It gives purpose to everything in our life. It gives context to the nations. It gives context to leadership that it all will pale in contrast to that one day. Father, I thank you that you have established your king on your holy hill. And that king always has been and always will be the king, a true worthy king. To him belongs all glory and dominion and power. Father, we believe your promises. We want to be waiting and expecting the day of your return. God, we believe that we are near Every day we are near to that day that you have established your people back in the land that you have promised them and that you have restored a remnant within that people who are calling to you day and night. We could not be situated in a better place in history than right now when these prophecies are coming to pass right before our eyes. Oh, Abba, we are near to the day that we will see Jesus coming on the clouds with all glory and power. We want to set our eyes on that day. We want to submit everything in our life, all our struggles, all our situation, all our wealth and all our success. We want to submit it To, the, to that belief, that faith that, that pales in contrast to that glorious day 
when we will see you coming on the clouds and every other thing will fade away. Everything else won't matter anymore. Everything that we have and everything that we did. All our difficulties and all our suffering and all our success, it will mean nothing compared to that day when Jesus is established as king and everything is restored to its rightful place under your authority and your leadership, when all suffering will end, when sin will be cast away and death will be done with, when your light will be seen in all the nations and your glory will be seen all over the earth, everything else will pale in contrast. It will not matter as we look to that glorious day that we will see that man shining brightly in the, in the sky. We want to believe that faithful witness. This is what you're about. This is who you are. Hallelujah. You're an eternal king. It all started with you and it will all end with you one day. Hallelujah. All authority, every leadership, every political system, every nation, every situation, every sickness, every disease, everything, every man will be submitted to you, will bow before you. And even now we can see that happening. As the church sets its eyes on you and on nothing else. That we believe in the gospel of the kingdom. And that even now is already spreading. And that the church is the manifest wisdom of God on the earth. Being the manifest hands and feet. The ones being the hands and feet of the kingdom of God here on the earth. Even now, up to the day, culminating in that day. With that truth in mind, we have hope. With that truth in mind, we know that even now, everything is already submitted. Everything is under your feet. Everything comes under you. It is all submitted to your plans and promises. All the nations will submit to your plans and promises. And no matter what the nations or leaders or people say or try to do, your plans and promises will be accomplished. Your plans and promises will come to pass. It will not change. No person will be able to change and stop it. No demonic force. No lie from the enemy will be able to stop your promises from being established in the lives of your people, in your kingdom. Right now, everything in your life is submitted to the king, is submitted to his rule and authority. Every situation, every fear, Every sickness, every disease. 
Even now, the kingdom of God is being established. We believe in a king. His kingdom is here. And so even now we can see what will fully be manifested one day right here, right now. If there's something distracting you, if there's something that you know that one day when you stand before the Lord, it will not be the thing you want to give account of. Now is the time to submit it before God, to submit it before Jesus and say, when you come back, this is something I do not want to have to explain. I want to give this to you and I want to obey and follow you with everything I have so I can stand before you on that day with a clean heart. Every sickness is submitted to Him. Every difficult situation I feel like there's some people in this room right now that have very difficult family situations or something with your family. Someone here with your parents. A very difficult situation with your parents. Is there someone here in this room with, with something that's going on right now, some sort of conflict or a very difficult position with your parents? I feel like God right now wants to release breakthrough into your family. That right now it is, it is submitted to the power of God, to his rule and authority. Father, we release right now breakthrough over both these, these, these women, God, right now. In the name of Jesus, establish your authority and your, your order over this family. Father, bring solution, bring light, bring the resolution into whatever needs to be solved. Bring forgiveness. Father, we submit all of this right now under your feet, under your love. I feel like the Lord wants to say to you right now that it is not in your power to change it. That it is not in your authority to change it, but he can, but he can.